0: welcome to gateway's podcast we hope god speaks to you through this message from pastor don brock for more information about gateway please visit www.gatewaybc.com well it's always a privilege to share in baptism and that was wonderful to see family members baptize uh, their grandchildren and um, the second young lady that was baptized um, her grandfather baptized uh, her, and his wife and I went to high school together. And, uh, and I was talking to the granddaughter. I said, yeah, your grandmother and I, we went to high school together, and we dated. And the look on her face was kind of like, she didn't know whether to throw up or you know how to feel about this. And no, you're not allowed to ask any questions. <laughs> you know. So anyway, it's great just to see uh, families come together and celebrate that. <clears throat> You know, the last several weeks, we have been talking about things that um, are stretching us and challenging us today. And I kind of want to wrap it up today with this idea. Um, you know, you hear so many messages about what you shouldn't do and how you shouldn't behave. But I want to I talk today about what should be true about us and one of the things that every single one of us have in common is we face problems that's just life Uh, you face problems in relationships you face problems in family maybe you face problems with finances uh, your work school you name it you're going to face problems and uh, and they're very real yet the scripture reminds us of something very important that there's something larger at play here. There's something bigger that's beyond that problem. And when you're in the middle of the issue, it's hard to see anything else. It's hard to, it's, it's just hard to see beyond it. You're just caught in the middle of it and you feel overwhelmed by it. But what God wants us to see is that there's a bigger thing happening and it's called a spiritual battle in ephesians chapter 6 he tells us for we are not fighting so we you and i as believers we're in a fight but we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies now most of the problems that you're dealing with are flesh and blood enemies you know a person or a thing things that's tangible and it's real But the Bible says that's not what we're really fighting. If you just stepped away and saw it from a different perspective, here's what you would see. He says, but against, our battle is against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. That's the real battle. But in the middle of it, it doesn't seem like it. (laughs) Getting along with a roommate. Having a fight with one of your kids. Having stress financially. It's easy to see that. And God says, no, step back a little bit. I want you to see that there's a bigger thing happening. And there's some things that I'm doing here. So we know that this is true. And we know that it's real. And there are practical ways that we can take a stand. So, one of the best ways, if we're fighting spiritual enemies, and we are, then there are things that we can understand that will help us. Mainly, what his tactics are. If I know where Satan's gonna place the landmines, I'm gonna stay away from there. You know, when we go on trips to Israel, there's certain places we go by from wars long ago that they still have minefields that have not been cleared. And so they've got barbed wire around it. They've got all these signs up, stay away, these landmines here. And by the warning signs, you know you'd be foolish to go walking in there. And so when we know where the landmines are that Satan will place for us, then we know I'm not going to go there. I'm going to steer around that. I'm not even going to try to tiptoe my way through it and hope I don't land on a landmine. And so we need to, instead of being paranoid or being fearful, we need to have this quiet confidence that we know we're doing something that's far greater, far, far better. Now, no one is immune from facing problems, no one. First John 4, 4, but you belong to God. So he's talking to all believers. You belong to God, my dear children, you have already, I love this, you have already won a victory over those people, those principalities, those spirits. You've already won because the spirit, and here, here's why you've already won. The spirit that lives in you, capital S, spirit, which means the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and he is greater then the evil spirit, little s spirit, so that means not God, greater is the Holy Spirit in you than this little capital spirit who lives in the world. So this is the way 1 John is reminding us, hey, you're on the winning team. So start with that. When, when you're in the midst of a problem, start with the idea, wait a minute, I'm already on the winning team. So let's start with that premise. And that gives me encouragement, that gives me hope. I'm already, this is a bigger thing than I realize. This is a spiritual thing, even though it involves a close friend, it's a spiritual thing, but I'm on the winning team here. Not that I'm on the winning team against my friend, but rather what Satan is trying to do. So let's talk about some things that God wants to be true about you. And there's a long list of them. We're only going to hit about three of them. And as we unpackage this, we'll begin to see that if God wants this to be true about me, then Satan's going to place a landmine trying to make that untrue about me. See how that works? So let's let's begin to unpackage this. One of the things that God wants to be true about you is he wants you to be humble. He wants you to be humble. Humble. And if you have to tell somebody you're humble, you're not. <laughs> hey, I'm, you won't believe how humble I really am. <laughs> that just doesn't work. Humble is something you never have to tell somebody that you are. It becomes very obvious. Colossians 3.12. Since God chose you to be holy people. Oh, man, just wrap your mind around that for a second. God has chosen you to be holy Holy people, and God loves you. So, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must. So, in other words, you've got a job in this, there's something that you have to do. And he says you need to clothe yourselves with tender hearted mercy, kindness, and we're going to stop on this one humility. So, humility is something God wants to be true about you. And you are to clothe yourself in humility. It means you don't talk about yourself. Now, let let me tell you something. Everybody should have a good friend that you can call and say, hey, something really good has happened for me. Can I just share it with you? You need that kind of friend. And they know you're not bragging about yourself. You're just trying to share a good thing that happened to you. That's great. But when you go and broadcast it for the whole world to know, hey, look at what I accomplished. It's kind of like if you have your trophy case at home and people come to visit you, you walk over there and you're standing by your trophy case when you're talking to them. So yeah, how are you doing? And, uh, Yeah. Oh, oh, my trophy case. You probably noticed that. And uh, let me show them to you. I mean, they're bored right then. But, you know, when somebody else brags on you, don't you think more highly of that person than if they brag on themselves? So the Bible says, clothe yourself in humility. James 4, 10, it says, this is one of those if then verses. If this is true, then this will be true. Humble yourselves before the Lord so if you humble yourself before the Lord, then he will lift you up in honor. Would you rather have the honor that God gives or the honor that man gives? Because the honor that man gives does not last. It just does not last. I, I mean, I'm going I'm to brag on a family member for a moment. And um, my, my son just, you know, he, we were helping him move uh, houses and, and he gave me a job. He said, Dad, will you clean out that closet and, and just pack it up and we'll take it to the house? I said, sure. And I started cleaning it out and I just started flipping through, and finding all these big frame things in the closet. And I started looking at it. One of them was a gold album plaque, Two of them were platinum records. And I said, Mac, what are these? He said, oh, don't pay any attention to that. I said, well, these are platinum albums that you won. You didn't tell us about that. And he said, yeah, there's a reason. And uh, (laughs) he said, because I know you'll tell everybody. Don't do it now. Here I am. Telling everybody. (laughs) And uh, so my son knows me well. I said, why don't you hang these on the wall? He said, why would I do that? I thought, wow, he gets this then I said, well, can I hang them on my wall in my office? <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, no, it's not going to happen. As far as I know, they're still in a closet somewhere. I, you know, I, I, I appreciate that. I do appreciate that. He probably didn't learn that from me. He probably learned that from his mom. But he says, humble yourselves. When you humble yourselves before the Lord, and let's face it, when you're before the Lord, you're going to humble yourself. I mean, you're not gonna be proudful, prideful in front of the Lord, right? You don't have a chance. So you humble yourself before the Lord and then he's gonna honor you. And I'd much rather have the honor of the Lord than anybody else. Ephesians 4.2, always be humble. Always be humble and, and usually humbleness is coupled with gentleness. Always be humble and gentle. When you're not humble, it's harder to be gentle. See, gentleness implies that you are focused on someone else and you're caring about what they're going through and what they're dealing with. But if you're only focused on you and when you're not humble, you're focused on you, you don't even notice their need for some gentleness. So humbleness and gentleness go together. He said, be hu- always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. You see, a humble spirit, here's how this works. And I, I'll i just tell you, in the last two weeks, I've gotten five phone calls from pastors who've had failures that would take them out of ministry. And... Um, my mom has moved to Nashville, so Friday I uh, flew up to Nashville just to visit her, and I flew back yesterday, and, and I thought, okay, I'm gonna get a little break and just can enjoy being with my family. I am sitting there with my family, and my phone rang, I looked at the phone, and I realized, oh, I better, I, I, I probably have to take this call. And it was a, a, another pastor. My heart just would sink, and my heart would break, and but here's what I do every time. I say to myself, "That could be me. I'm capable of doing what they did." That's keeping yourself humble. In that, you know, if I were to say, oh, "I would," that would that's so stupid. I would never do that. Really? I, I mean, I guarantee you, I haven't met a person yet who, after I did their wedding, they were thinking, "I." cannot wait until I get to have my first affair. I haven't met that person yet. I've never met a pastor who has said, I cannot wait until I really mess this up. When, a, when seminary students, when they graduate from seminary today to go into ministry, when 10 of them graduate, by the time they reach retirement, only one is still going to be in ministry. That's kind of true of Christians in general. We see a lot of Christians just falling like flies around us. So we we need to be humble and gentle, and we need to make allowance for each other's faults. Now, that does not say making allowance for someone's fault does not mean you wink at it or ignore it. It just means you deal with it humbly. You help them with the humble spirit. Now, Satan's tactic, his landmine that he places before you to help blow up your humbleness is self-sufficiency. That's his weapon. He uses self-sufficiency to prevent your humility. And um, it often just kind of creeps in with this idea. You know, the Bible says... Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. Now, Satan loves to pervert scripture. So you know what Satan reminds you? Satan will say, well, you know the Bible says, I can do all things. And he doesn't finish the verse. And so you develop that attitude. Oh, I can do all things. I can do it. You know, and you're told that by coaches and by teachers and by parents. Oh, you can do it. You can do it. You know, there's a fallacy in that. There's a real fallacy in that. And that is setting yourself up for self-sufficiency. And as long as there's self-sufficiency, there's never humbleness. Never. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ. And man, when I am connected with Christ, focused on Christ, there is no pride in me. There's just none to be had. Whenever I'm with Christ, you're always going to be humble before Christ. Satan perverts scripture. You can do all things. That's a perversion. I can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My strength comes from him. So Satan places a landmine of self-sufficiency to take away your humbleness. The second thing that God wants to be true about you is unity. Listen to this prayer of Jesus. Whenever Jesus prays, you ought to pay attention to it because God's going to answer it. And in John chapter 17, there's a prayer that he prays for his disciples, but then he actually prays for you. If you're a believer, Jesus was praying for you. And this prayer, when Jesus prayed a prayer, it continues. It's not a like stop. It just keeps going. And any prayer that Jesus prays, God is has answered and is answering. So listen to the prayer that Jesus prayed for you. Jesus said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, talking about his 12, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That includes you because, see, Jesus gave those 12 disciples the great commission, the message of the gospel. And they told people and they told people and they told people. And 2,000 years later, finally somebody told you. But it began with their message. So the verse applies to you. So I'm praying for those who are believers in 2023 at Gateway Baptist Church. I'm praying for those people. And here's what he's praying. I pray... The first thing he prays for, I pray that they will be one, unity. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one, (laughs) not just any kind of unity, an amazing unity, the kind of unity that Jesus has with the Father and the Holy Spirit, trinity unity. That's the kind of unity Jesus prayed for, for us. In this church, in this fellowship, with you and other believers, I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, the Father, and I am in you. And may they, listen to this, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. God uses unity to bring people to Jesus. How about that? I cannot tell you how many times people come and visit Gateway for the first time, and they usually say something like, It just feels like home. We uh, have several ministries that are always getting first time visitors, life groups, Bible studies, different ministries. And I get to go around and meet some of those first-time visitors, and, and they, just, they just say, I, I'm so welcomed. I'm so loved. I, feel, I, I, I see the unity in the fellowship. And they're drawn to that. Unity is it's drawing. It's something you want to be a part of. It's, it's kind of like when you see a team that wins big and, and you just see the team so unified, you're like, as a spectator, you want to go, wow, I'd love to be part of that kind of unity. Well, you get to do that in church because Jesus prayed that that's what we would be. He said, I, and in verse 22, Jesus prayed something that's beyond my comprehension. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. So what establishes this unity that Jesus prayed for? The glory of holy God. God gave his, the Father gave his glory to the Son. And Jesus prayed right here, that he has given that same glory, the exact same glory to you for the purpose of unity. Because unity is what brings people to Jesus, according to these verses. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such Perfect unity, that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So Jesus is praying that the world will know how much God loves them and that it's the same love that God the Father had for Jesus the Son. And it's based on the unity that is created in a fellowship. That's massive. And so, yeah, of course, Satan is going to set landmines to destroy unity. He will destroy unity in friendships, in marriages, in families. He loves to do that. Look at these verses. Psalms uh, 133, how wonderful and pleasant is it when brothers live together in harmony. Colossians 3:14, above all, clothe yourself with love which binds us together in perfect harmony. So the way we maintain the unity is by keeping ourselves clothed in love. Being able to go up to somebody and really mean it and say, I just want you to know, I love you so much. And they, when they hear you say that, they know it's true because the spirit and the glory of God that's in me is in them. And when they hear those words, they know it's true. And that draws people to Jesus. That draws people to Jesus. Proverbs 619, a false witness pours out lies and a person who sows discord in a family. So the landmine that Satan uses is division. That's his tool. He loves it when churches split. He loves it when church staff members get at each other's throat. He loves it when church leaders don't get along with each other. He loves it when Christian friends argue and gossip and stab each other in the back. You see, division is a quiet killer in a church. And it's usually, it's usually birthed behind closed doors, but it comes out as a monster. A lot of times the death of a friendship is birthed behind closed doors, and then it comes out like a raging monster. And it destroys, destroys unity. And when the world sees disunity, you know what they say to themselves? Why would I want what they have? (laughs) They don't get along at all. They don't care about each other. Why Why would they want Jesus? If that's the result. So we fight for unity in spirit. We fight for oneness. Let's do one more. God wants you, he wants this to be true of you, that you're full of joy. Galatians 5.22 He says seven things here. We're only going to focus on one. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy. He produces joy in your life. The landmine that Satan uses to destroy joy is discouragement. I've seen discouragement take out more Christians I've seen discouragement take out church leaders than almost anything else, especially if it's prolonged. I've had pastors call and, or come to see me and they just break down crying because they're so discouraged. I mean, one pastor, he said, he said, Donna, I preached my heart out. I spent hours preparing and praying. I preached my heart out. And after church, somebody came up and fussed at me because there wasn't toilet paper in the bathroom. Now, I had a deacon do that to me one time. And you know what I did? I looked at him. I said, well, what are you going to do about it? He said, oh, I need to take care of it. I said, you got it. But I'm telling you, Satan loves to do that. He loves to discourage. And, he, and that robs you of your joy. So we have, to look, we have to look for the good of what God is doing. And I want to tell you, when you're discouraged, you need to stop. You need to back up, see the big picture. And here's what you need to say to yourself. Satan is trying to discourage me. That must mean I'm doing something right. Because he's messing with me. And this is an opportunity for me to grow my faith. And by growing my faith, I get to please God more because the Bible says the only way I can please God is through my faith. So if God gives me the opportunity to grow my faith, he's given me the privilege of pleasing him more. So instead of seeing this discouragement and being, woe is me and why is this happening to me? I'm going to say, wait a minute, this is a praise God moment. I get to grow in my faith so that I can trust God more and please him more. I get to do that. The landmines are out there trying to rob you of unity, of joy, of peace. You could go on and on and on. And God, God says, you can do all things through my Son, Jesus. Never buy the lie from the enemy. Let's pray. Father, there are some people here right now, they are discouraged. There are some people here right now who need joy. There's some people right now who need unity. There are some people right now who've gotten kind of cocky and prideful and are always focused on themselves and they need to be humble. And I pray you'll deal with the self-sufficiency. You'll deal with the discouragement. You'll deal with the lack of unity. The gossip. I pray that these things will become true of our people, the prayers of Jesus will be answered. I pray right now for those that are just dealing with some stuff, that they can be encouraged, that they can step back and they can see the big picture and can say, thank you, God, that you're allowing me to grow my faith. Thank you for what you're gonna do, God. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna be here at the front like I am most Sundays, and you come and we'll just pray. We'll pray whatever it is that's weighing on you. But I wanna remind you of something. We've already won. Just go read the last two chapters of Revelation. The devil's not in there. He's gone. We've already won. We're on the winning team. We're just waiting for it to be fulfilled. Now that brings me excitement. Let's stand together.